A resurrection without the cross isn't real. It's absolutely not real. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Dave Deadlifting the Devil Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm Actually, I'm doing a, a webinar tonight about Catholic deliverance ministry, so... Give me, give me, go, a, give me a highlight. Give me a highlight. Well, I'm going to talk about some, like, rules that, you know to follow that specifically for Catholics have to follow. And I'm going to talk about what it actually is, because to be honest with you, most people don't know what, what they're trying to do in deliverance ministry or like the parameters of it. So stuff like that. Would you encourage a, let's just say for argument's sake, just pure illustration does not come from my own personal life. Would you say a group of elderly women praying the rosary should pray as loud and as creepily as possible like this? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Whenever they do deliverance ministry. I would say not not only should they do that, but they should follow the victim around 24 hours a day and do that all the time. Hail isn't Mary, full of grace. Whoa, it's so aggressive, lady. Is, isn't that funny how people have a prayer voice, but then they also have a deliverance prayer voice? <laughs> Only you would know that. I haven't that's seen funny. too many people's deliverance. Well, that's it's a no. It is. It's a funny thing. I remember one time when we were in college, a, a su- the sweetest girl was was praying with people, and she'd have like the sweetest voice. And then all of a sudden, like something happened, like somebody was wigging out, and she came up and was like praying deliverance prayers, and she became so intimidating and scary. It was. I was like, well, I'm scared. I'll leave right now. Yeah, you know, I, I'll go. I'll go. If he's not going, I'll go. If he's not going, I'll go. Hey, so here's something cool. Today I sat down with my new boss, who's awesome, and we charted out a path forward for me. Okay. So you've been kind of living in limbo. Well, he kind of just hired me, like basically, like, hey, I will let's put you on the board and we'll get the let's get in the air and we'll put the plane together as we're flying, you know, kind of a thing. And um I'm pretty excited how it turned out. So it, and it's different than anything I've done before. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what is, is it? What are, what are you going to be doing? I'm excited. You <laughs> wouldn't know. tell me. You literally pulled the Luke Carey and said, yeah. save it for the show. So yeah. Well, I like the I like to talk to you on the show before we get into the yeah. emails and stuff like that, because I feel like it helps. But um, but OK, so here's the deal. So it's about as far away from. Uh, periphery evangelization as you can get. Okay, <laughs> it is um, going to be to start basically an institute here in the diocese of Pittsburgh for intellectual rigor of Catholicism, and so we are going to feed faithful Catholics uh, and work on like building a deep understanding of faith, and basically almost even set up a university system that's not a university at all, like so that Catholics who are serious about their faith can learn. Uh, more and like go deeper. So this won't be um, pop culture speakers or teachers. It'll be more like serious, uh, like, you know, Catholic historians, Catholic literature, Catholic bioethicists, like these kinds of things. And we're going to delve deep into topics. And and then in between, we'll support that, um, you know, with different programs. So I'm pretty excited. Pretty excited. So, so just saying this, 
Yeah. Where do you see my key role? Because yeah. I thought, oh, here's Gomer. Here's the perfect time. It's Dave's Institute. Right. We're going to, oh, no, no, no popular speakers, just <laughs> academics. And no, I'm like, no, well, that, uh, I, didn't... I can clean the floors, Dave. I'm no, really good with a mop. Do you know what is interesting is that so this priest, um, he was saying like, well, yeah, but, you know, this parish, they bring in a lot of great speakers. And I said, well, we could still we could share speakers. But when but for the Institute, what we want is for them to um, what we want is for them to basically speak on something a little bit deeper. Right. Like it's not yeah. for entertainment. This is for. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it kind of was inspired by a little bit of Bishop Barron, but then also a lot of the Institute for Catholic Culture in yeah. Washington, D.C., and I'm I'm pretty excited about it. So that's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, I mean let's be honest. Like here on the show, we can only scratch the surface right. of that which is Catholic evangelization and discipleship. And we say all the time, like I really want to do a series on the Catholic teaching on justification, right? And why Trent's understanding, you know? And right. uh, we actually got an email from a listener back when I made that comment. Like I would love that. It's just a, a difficult format, especially if someone's never heard the thing. They pop right. in, and then we're walking through you know, original sin and, you know, penal substitutionary atonement and all this stuff. And yeah. then just, it, it would just kind of throw off the vibe of what is the show. I still think there's a place for it, but, uh, I desperately want to do it, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. But yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's so much that's out there that can, that academic academia can help push and clarify. Well, it, but it's not just that though, right? I mean, the, cause that would be good and that would be enough to start this institute, but it's also that pedagogy teaches itself, right? Like, I mean, the way you yeah. learn something, right? I mean, pushing the 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 uh, yourself in with regards to the faith and the intellectual side of the faith is a, a noble pursuit for a Catholic, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you should be doing that. So, I'm 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 excited about this. I'm really excited, and uh, I think it's going to be great. He was excited about it, and. Um, so right now it'll be under a uh, parish as like kind of an incubator and and eventually it'll branch off basically into its own thing, but it's going to be awesome. Do you have a name yet? No. Do you know what? It's so funny because I have everything else, which, and usually the name, I'm good <laughs> with the name. Usually I, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. But, um, but uh, you know, it's it basically the tagline is going to be like bringing intellectual rigor back to the faith, you know, so, and, uh, mm. you know, serve, serve the serious lay faithful of the Diocese of Pittsburgh in a very intellectually rigorous way. So that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, you've stoked my furnace. I like it. It's so funny too. Cause I think so much smaller than this priest. Cause yeah. he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I see like campus, a campus and, and I was like, Whoa, man, like this is, you know, I'm, <laughs> like I'm seeing my basement, like typing on my computer, you know, but <laughs> But no, so it's great. Yeah, it's going to be good. So oh, I, man. I'm happy to that finally awesome. have a direction, you know? Yeah. Well, how about that? You just started a nonprofit think tank for <laughs> Catholic uh, life and faith. And uh, I think, uh, I think actually, I don't mean to brag, but I got first place in every one of the Grand Prix on uh, Mario Kart <laughs> on the Nintendo Switch. So, uh, and beat you my kids. had it your awesome. day off today. So. That's cool. yeah, I did I though because I spent all morning right. on email for work from home. Oh gosh, this is life. This is life. Life is so funny. It's like, hey, I got a weekend off. I'm gonna spend it with. Oh wait, no, we got those older kids. Sac uh, yeah, 
first communions. Okay, I got to do that. And it's like, hey, I got that. Oh, crap. And now I got to send an email out to the parents because we didn't get enough volunteers for the youth ministry thing tonight. Okay. Hey, I got. <laughs> That's funny. Like it never stops. Do you know what? When I listen to. So Gomer and I have this favorite mutual podcast called Deep Questions, which you guys should all listen to. I can't believe I'm so rec- good. It's so good. Um, but when I when he talks about like workplaces that like yeah. t- tax your your brain, basically, I think about you. I really do think about you because you have so many different people and that you are answering to you and you have to answer to. And I mean, just emails and I mean, like constant meetings and people just come into your office whenever they want. And And that that's the hardest part. The people that come into my office, but I, I want to be available to the coworkers, but at the same time, I actually am crafting curriculum and stuff like that. So there is a lot of deep work that has to get done. You know, and you can't do that level of deep work if people are just walking in and banging no, into you. No, and uh, so it's so it's so difficult, especially since one of my dear friends is across the hall, and me and him talk philosophy all the time. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah, theology, philosophy, all this stuff. We do it all the time, and uh, he's getting his doctorate in philosophy. So it's so dang difficult to not want to go through this stuff with him, but. Um, you know, I'll sit there and, you know, it, it takes me about two hours to write a full complete confirmation night. We're overhauling everything that we're doing because we can only do it for 12 weeks and then that's it. Right. And so, um, we just had our first like kickoff, meet your core member night. And it was insane. The amount of, cause we have 280 high school students getting confirmed 280. And we only have two people involved in youth ministry in that department besides myself. And that's the confirmation coordinator and the YM assistant. Oh my so, gosh, that's rough. That's a lot. Yeah, but every niche about generated three out of the five um, emails that we got or email resumes. So send them in. We we kind of had a little dip in uh, dip in offertory. So we're like, oh, we can't really hire rate right this second. Wait, but Gomer, we're still taking resumes. Yeah. You only got five resumes. Only got five resumes. The number one thing that I heard from almost everyone was. Can you wait till May? Can you wait till yeah. May? Can you wait right. till May? Right. And I get it. I get it. A lot of people are hanging on by a shoestring here um, and, you know, whatever. But I I am uh, – there's a lot going on, but I am – I feel like I have such a solid balance. My employees and coworkers know I'm not available to chit-chat on the weekends via email. If they need an immediate response, it's a text message to me. So I don't check my email on the weekends unless I'm working. Well, that's if good. I'm working, yeah. then I'll do that. So there's, I draw a line and I know I've gotten some criticism for it. And to a certain extent I should, because sometimes I draw that line a little bit too thickly, but it's like, if I, I, I will lose my brain right. if I have to, and some people, their jobs, they have to keep the email open. I don't. Right. And if I did that, it would destroy my job. So yeah. people, um, people going, just think I'm a jerk. Like <laughs> but I'm okay with that now. It's been like three years. Yeah, where people just well, that's one of the lines from Cal Newport where he said the one professor was always saying no to everyone all the time. They're like, "Oh, don't ask Johnson over there; he always says no." Right. So Johnson's like, "Yay! I finally can actually do the job yeah. you hired me right. for and not get on these subcommittees." So yeah, yeah, cool. All right, from that we have a couple um, uh, listener emails. I don't know, judging <laughs> from just the introduction, I don't know how far we're gonna get, but uh, I have three brought up here. And we're going to start off with number one, Matt. And so if you people want to write us an email that we can answer on the show, the reason why emails are important is me and Dave can very easily get lost in the uh, abstract stuff. This podcast has forced me to be practical to the point where I now see and look for the practical in everything that I'm doing. But 
your emails are so on the ground that it uh it, it presents us with so many different opportunities yeah. to preach and teach on the Catholic faith. So Matt writes, Dear Dave and Gomer, first off, thanks so much for this podcast. I always enjoy your conversations, even though they sometimes make me feel like a failure for not doing all of the amazing things you guys are doing. They nevertheless energize me and give me hope for ongoing work toward evangelization. Uh, my quick point is, uh, uh, hey, Matt, sometimes uh, not all that glitters is gold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it definitely right. sounds like we're doing a lot more than we are. Sometimes we make it sound a lot prettier and shinier yeah. uh, than, than, than the reality. Yeah, You were just shaking your head no. No, I I totally I totally agree. I mean, it's it's funny. I steal from Dave all the time. Like well, this show is literally do. we all steal yeah. from each other. Yeah, God gave me eyes to plagiarize. Uh, secondly, how do you guys recommend? And this is the main question: introducing people to the cross. To be more specific, I feel like a lot of the issues plaguing the church today arise from a largely consumer mentality, from thinking that the church should be what I want it to be. From what I've seen, many people view the church as being constituted, quote, by the will of the people, end quote, rather than by the atoning love of Christ upon the cross, a la Catechism 766, which right before we hit record, I made my daughter read out loud. It was beautiful. <laughs> Others think that the liturgy should be celebrated in accordance with our personal preferences rather than inviting us into a posture of receptivity so as to receive God's word in a fruitful and transformative way. Someone's been reading Ratzinger's Spirit of the Liturgy. Yeah, I love it. Uh, he continues, I think the cross stands at the heart of this of addressing this issue. But of course, the notion of self-renunciation is not an alluring message. The freedom and peace that Jesus alone can bring are easier to market not that we're trying to sell something, and yet a message that stopped short there preaches a kind of cheap grace in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How have the two of you struck a balance between the cross and the resurrection and the task of evangelization? Thanks oh. again for everything. Oh, man. We're not going to get it's, too far after this. I, don't I know. This is the question, though. Yeah, this is the it's question. Good. It's good. It's a good question. And I think, Matt, it to me, it just shows you are you're exactly where so many of us are like you're thinking about the the one question that we desperately need to answer right is is this idea and so there and there's a few different things in here you know i think one of the issues that we have here is um an overarching denial that we need anything right mm -hmm. because i think I mean, I think if you need something, then the the next natural question is who can give it to me? Because I think most of us go to the church. In fact, I know this for a fact. A lot of us, if you ask people what, what makes you Catholic, they talk about what they do for the church rather than what the church does for them. Like I know, like I know for a fact, um, I was talking with the diocese. They were trying to hire tons and tons of Catholic teachers. And the reason I was in this meeting was to talk about, are these teachers disciples? And so I asked this principal, or no, there was a superintendent. I said, well, how are you going to weed out people that are non-disciples? And he said, well, here's the question we ask. Show me how your faith forces you to help other people, right? And to me, that is kind of the opposite question that we should be asking, right? I mean, that's a fruit, certainly. But what I would have just said is almost the opposite. Show me how the faith has changed you completely. So to, to back up a little bit, right? The cross is kind of a secondary issue to the problem of sin. And I think the real issue is introducing the problem of sin. Um, but again, I'm, I'm separating the liturgy aspect. God, I don't know. Take, 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 let's have a discussion about this. Yeah. So my first thought was, you know, he's very right on a human level. This is very true. No one is walking out trying to sell a product and saying, Hey, deny yourselves and buy this product. Right. 
what we do when we want to sell something is we appeal to you, you want to remove friction and re- remove obstacles. So when you sell something, you appeal to their carnality, right? The yeah. carnal side of the right. human art, the thing that's easily swayed by pleasures and, you know, just wants permission to indulge, right? I was reading this thing from St. Thomas Aquinas and uh, the letter to the Saracens, you know, the Muslims in the Holy Land. And uh, he basically said, this is why Islam spread for 600 years, because <laughs> the prophet just promised to gratify all of your carnal wishes and desires. And, you know, in a lot, in a, in a very big way, this is how evangelicalism got so big in America. The non-denom seeker sensitive church growth movement was it essentially, what do you want? And we'll come and build a church around that. So I think, I think there is a very human understanding in that. Like if I want something, uh, I, I should want to find my community in the church the ultimate needs of the church supplies, I think, should be the human ones. But in reality, it becomes a sleazy sales pitch that appeals not to the true self, but to the carnal, false, fallen self. And we got to be super careful about that. And then when it comes to the liturgy, yeah. the most dangerous thing we can do in the liturgy is impose our personal preferences onto the liturgy. That is the most dangerous thing. And I literally just wrote an email to my clergy, the active clergy at my parish updating him on a guy who was baptized according to the formula we baptize you so his baptism didn't count so when he converted to catholicism that confirmation and profession of faith didn't count oh my so we gosh. had to do it all over again so i was updating him and i said people have asked me in the parish why is the church so legalistic let me explain what i say and uh and i'm really writing this to the clergy being like this is why we have to be fanatical about doing what it says in black or doing what it says in red and saying what it says in black. Yeah. Because it's not just like if you isolate an external thing, like a, you know, like I always use the example of putting both hands on the altar and kissing it. When you when the priest does it at mass, when you isolate that and say, well, the priest has to use both hands, not one hand, people roll their eyes, ugh, oh, one yeah. hand, what what ooh, two hands, or else it's not real. Right. And it's like, no, no, no. Throughout history, things have cropped up. You have the essentials and then you have the non-essentials. But they're a very thin line between those two. And then you have the things that kind of radiate outwards from that, that protect and guard and amplify that which is essential. And so when we just make the liturgy in our image and likeness, we shift the locus, one, from God to the community. That's dangerous because the community comes from God. It's God's saving action first. And when we make it our response to God, we almost... We almost say it's 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 actually what Ratzinger said in Introduction to Christianity. The theology of the of Israel used to be God elected us out of his sovereign grace. Then it became God offered to the world the Torah and only we chose it. So one is God's initiative, the other one is my initiative. When our liturgy, our very worship of God becomes conditioned from that perspective, then it's no longer Jesus saying to Peter, I will build my church, but you guys go build your churches. And that's the heart of division. That's why when you actually try, this is why it's so painful to actually do what the church wants in liturgy and you get all these rebellions. What do you mean I shouldn't hold hands during the Our Father? What do you mean a lay person shouldn't bless as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion? What do you mean all that stuff? Because we're so used to getting our personal preferences. We've been educated that, quote, it's no big deal, or quote, it's what the people want. But that's not (laughs) the thing that defines it. Vague sentimentality will dominate the liturgy, and then we won't have a liturgy. That's the movement. The liturgy is is meant to, it's costly. 
right? To attend a liturgy, it costs, you know, Fulton Sheen used to say that the reason why you don't get anything out of mass is you don't give anything up. At the very least, you need to give your time and attention, right? Right? And so that's the the movement that that's why the altar, we go receive communion forward at the altar. It's this forward motion into heaven, into the sanctuary to God. It's not us being just left in our pews with a little basket being passed around with the Eucharist on it. I, I, I think, I think so much of this is, I think so much of this could be summed up in that we take heaven for granted in America, for sure. That people, oh, yeah. people just don't, it's just not a thing that people think uh, intentionally about, like, right? Because if if it's the most important question on earth, I mean, think about how everybody has these obsessions now. I mean, I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what, you know, like people have obsessions about video games and, and different kinds of hobbies and things like that. And they like know every rule, every, <laughs> you know, and it's like, if you just thought a little bit intentionally about like, well am I guaranteed heaven or not, which you're not, right? Then it's a big question and you want to like know this very well. And I, I just want to, I want to say something to the, the last thing he says here. And I think this is really interesting. He says, how have the two of you struck a balance between the cross and the resurrection in the task of evangelization? I think that's a really, really good way to put this, but I'm going to give you an almost useless quote. <laughs> And that is this, preach the true cross and watch people be resurrected. So, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think, I think just that, that is what I would do is people. What do you mean? Well, let me ask you, what do you mean when you say preach the true cross? I mean, preach the fact that you need, you're a sinner in need of a savior. And I think that what's going to happen is people will fall away. There's no question. Yeah. But what's going to happen is people will experience the resurrection. You can't have it. There's, I think, I think Matt, one of the things that the church has to get over and people like us have to get over is that a resurrection without the cross isn't real. It's absolutely not real, you know, and, and we think it is, but it's not. Yeah. And going from that this morning, me and my wife were watching a show, uh, Alyssa Childers. I can't remember her name. Um, she used to be in Zoe's Girl, Zoe Girl, which was a Christian band. And she's watched all of these like Christian artists from the 90s and aughts just fall away into nothingness, right? They're all deconstructing and stuff. So she got really adamant about like these people knew no faith. They had zero theology. And they use the language of Christianity so much from the stage. And they're 19 years old punks being, you know, being for, put a microphone in front of them and a recording contract behind them and being like, preach, you know? And right. so you have the fall of all these people 10 years later, 20 years later. Right. But she starts, so she starts a YouTube channel. She starts a podcast. And I was listening to her with um, somewhat anti-Catholic Matt Winger, Mike Winger, something like that. He's a pastor. He does a handful of anti-Catholic stuff, but whatever. He's a Protestant. I don't expect him to be a Catholic. But he would. They were going through, and they did this. Um, they tackled. It was like twenty-three memes from a progressive Christian church, and one of them was, uh, "There is no, there is no hell, and there is no wrath." of God and all this stuff. And they read a quote from Richard Rohr. She did and said like, Oh, because if you believe in the Trinity, yeah. So the, the line was, there is no, the wrath of God and hell aren't literal. They're figures of speech. They're metaphors for swimming against the flow of God's love. And the guy winger was like, how funny that they use a metaphor to describe. It's just a metaphor swimming against right. the flow of God's love. Right. 
and I'm listening to this and they're explaining and she uses this quote from Richard Rohr who says um, like you cannot reconcile the doctrine of the Trinity swimming in the love of the Trinity with wrath and justice and God and stuff like that. And you just you just hear this stuff. And I look over at my wife and I paused it and I said, honey, I've said this a million times, but this is why I despise milk toast, weak, watered down Christianity or progressive Christianity or carnal Christianity, whatever you want to call it, call it. I said, because everyone who hears this message will be comforted in their sin. Yeah, right. There, no one is given permission to repent and change. Right. Right. And that's the death of people. And and people are looking for depth and they will stick their toe in and see how shallow it is. And yeah. eventually they get sick of it. This is why parish churches like that, parishes like that, they have an average tenure of about nine months. Right. I mean, it's just people leave. They they they're just not being fed anymore by it. Now, I'm not saying they leave for something better, but it's like what you said, they're confirmed in nothingness. I mean, there's just nothing that they get out of it. It's so incredibly frustrating. And, you know, that Richard Rohr in particular, right? I mean, it's, it's clear to me that in his teaching, right, he, he doesn't, he just can't reconcile the idea that there are people in hell. And, yeah. you know, I, I just, I think that this is, it's just such a, um, a testament to what we're seeing today because he's a major teacher in the church. A lot of people love he's, him. He's a major teacher in the world. Yeah, right. You're and right. It shocks me. And me and you were joking earlier that the same Cal Newport uh, productivity podcast referenced a, a book that's great. I think it's by oh, who is it? David Brooks or something. I don't uh, know. Second Mountain, which is a secularized version of Richard Rohr's book, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought it was so funny that, like, of all people, you know. Right. But I, you look at this stuff and you begin to see how um, when we don't challenge people with the true cross. And and this is uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Like, this is actually the the talk that I heard that made me love him. It was called The Cross and the Demoniac. Oh, yeah, I love and it. And he said, yeah. yeah, it's so powerful. I would encourage you to immediately buy it, download it, uh, listen to it. There's a whole um, Fulton Sheen archive online. The cross of the demonic, he had this line where he said, you know, um, whenever I preach the cross, you can talk theology all day, but when you talk the cross, the demonic manifests. Right. And he said, uh, he's like, he was doing these retreat for priests all year. And a priest, you know, he, when you start talking about the cross, priests start squirming and he walks over to the bishop and he was telling this to another group of priests. I think I probably shared this on the show before, but he said, uh, there's a priest, there's a man here who will not be a priest by the end of this year. And he said, uh, well, who do you think? Who are you talking about? And he said, there's a man who was squirming the whole time and rolling his eyes and blah, blah, blah. And he pointed to me. He goes, oh, not him. He's our, you know, he was the number one person in his class. He was blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he works at the chancery. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he didn't even make it to the end of the retreat. Yeah, He left and abandoned the priesthood. And you start to hear this, and I'm like, this is what I see, but this is the response. When people talk about like how they get frustrated with something that we're both involved in, the Soonville Youth Conferences, I remember the 90s and early 2000s was more of a controversy, but like altar calls and stuff like that. Yeah. An altar call is, at its core, it's the cross of Jesus Christ that conquered your sin, and it was a direct confrontation with like sin that most people have never heard in their entire in their lives. Life, outside right, of, ever. Outside of a prep for confession. Right. Right. My Steubenville conference, when I was 13 years old, it was the very first time. <laughs> that you were illegally in. <laughs> oh, oh, maybe I was 14. I don't know. I can never remember. Uh, my first, It was the very first time I ever actually heard the gospel preached by Father Dave Pomanka 
And the very first time anyone ever, ever, outside of confession, which I hardly knew anything about, ever asked me to repent of my sin, ever in my life. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that changed my life completely. And 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 it didn't stop. It started me on a lifelong a lifelong journey of repentance, you know. So now I, yeah. I wanted to get I wanted to address this question from another perspective. Um, where he said, you know, self-renunciation isn't all that alluring. Um, and, uh, and on the one hand, on a very human level, right, that's very true. Deny yourselves. You're not going to sell anything. But on another hand, right, self-renunciation on a human level is actually very alluring today. Right. I think there's a huge element. Right. Because of the softness of our civilization where people, I think on a human level, people know that anything worth having requires sacrifice. Whether you're talking about a you know, a career, you know, a, a sports, intellectual pursuits, a craft, um, philosophy or whatever it might be that anything that is worth something demands something from me. But at the same time, think of the fads today, like CrossFit yeah, or right? just fasting, just yeah, fasting. fasting, stoic philosophy, yeah. like stoic philosophy is skyrocketing today. And it's the philosophy of like grin and bear it smile into the abyss right. like there is no ultimate meaning but you have dignity because you'll face that nothingness with a smile yeah. like but don't laugh because that shows your disorder well you, well, you, you remember <laughs> the uh I, I think it was like two or three years ago i owned the domain name warriorweek.com do you remember this yes, yes. and a yes. company contacted me and wanted to buy it and i i ended up selling it for a lot of money and they were like, this is what we do. I was, I wanted to make sure they weren't like evil, you know, before yeah. I sold it to them. So they were like, well, this is what we do. And it literally sent me this video of like just normal looking like dad bod businessmen guys, like punching each other in a boxing ring. It was like this program where like normal businessmen <laughs> go to this like boot camp and they like run all day and swim and like carry logs over their head and then there's like they're punching each other in a boxing ring and i mean they're paying tens of thousands of dollars to do this right <laughs> so i mean it, it's a desire i mean there yeah. it is a desire yeah. you know it's, yeah we'll think of spartan runs mud right. runs tough mudder right. um what's the other one the ruck run where you put yeah. a 40 pound weight in a rucksack and go running right. i got a buddy that i did exodus 90 with and he's like i gotta go ruck today and all these people are like what the heck is go ruck and i'm like you obviously don't listen to the art of manliness <laughs> podcast <laughs> that's but awesome. there is this drive there is this there is a a rejection of the soft and easy so here's the thing uh the soft and easy appeals to those who want their pleasures appeal to immediately who don't want to sacrifice right then the idea on its other side is but there are people who are sick and tired of the soft and easy because they find it only ends in dead ends so they're willing to do things like go to crossfit with a group of people right. i mean crossfit is filling the void where the churches fail i know you know they're demanding they're super engaging Everyone on board is like, we buy into this vision. It's a mission. We're here to help, you know, all this stuff. But, and if you don't believe me that the world will accept a message of renunciation, just go on a fitness, uh, some, you know, fitness, a blogger, oh, yeah. a fitness, um, uh, Instagram person. That's what the phrase Instagram. Um, and number one, you'll see a lot of wildly inappropriate pictures. So don't go too long on the Instagram fitness photos, but they'll just have stuff like sacrifice equals sacrifice plus humility equals anything and like pictures of sunsets yeah, with them doing right. a yoga pose or whatever. Right. And St. Paul, I mean, this is directly his point in first Corinthians nine, where he's like, 
run so as to win, yeah. right? We're racing for an imperishable crown. Bo I don't box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it. There are people who, who, who like get that, the warrior, the athlete. Sure. And that's very, very popular. At the same time, here's another kind of attitude way of approaching this. Okay, so self-renunciation is not that alluring. I would, I would approach it this way. Yeah, so why would Jesus do this for you? Why did he empty himself, the kenosis? Why did he empty himself and take on the form of a slave, dying a death, yes, even a death on the cross, right? Why did he do that? If, if, if that level of pain and suffering and self-renunciation and sacrifice is so, it turns so many people off, then you say, but Jesus did it for you first, right? And this is St. Paul in Romans 5, right? The other side of the, the argument. He's like, you know, you and I would not even die for like a good person. Very rarely would right. we do it, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So the idea is like, if we were enemies, Christ reckons, would you die for your enemy? No. Well, Jesus did. Jesus did. And so the impossibility or the hesitancy of so many people who don't want to renounce the self and accept Christ into their life, well, Christ led the way. So he's not going to demand more from us than what he's already given to us. So it becomes yet another bridge to speak what he did on the cross into people's hearts. The people who don't want it, you say, yeah, it's revolting. That's why Christ on the night before he died in the agony in the garden begged God to take it away three times. But he still laid it down. He still embraced the cross. He still did it. And he whispered your name on his lips while he was doing it so that you would be free. Right. And it does move people. It really does. It, it certainly does. And I think... I think another key to this is understanding that people who have had a deep experience of the cross in their life might reject the message of the cross, but they don't reject like the other side, right? I've talked about this before, right? That there's two sides to the cross. Like one is stark and bare and rough and there's splinters and it's awful and it's going to cause you to yeah. bleed. And on the other side hangs your savior. And I think that if you see what kind of person you're approaching, right? For some people, they need to cross themselves, like what Gomer yeah. was talking about. But for some people, they've just suffered deeply. Yeah. And that that teaching on the cross is not, on the grittiness of the cross, is not effect, as effective until you turn that cross over and show them that, look, he was there with you. He was there yeah. suffering with you. I think that's a, a compelling message. Yeah, the community of the cross. This is the best part, people. While I'm talking to Dave, his kids are in the other room and they're flicking the light on and off. It's so beautiful. Is it's so beautiful. So we're going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up. But I think this is a really powerful thing. And uh, Matt and all of our listeners, I would encourage you to stay with this during Advent and Christmas. Stay with this question. How can I propose and repropose and re-re-repropose the cross in my conversations, yeah. right? When I do marriage prep, the cross is at the center of marriage prep. Why? Because sin and forgiveness need to occur in marriages for them to survive intact, right? I like what you were saying, Dave, where you talked about specifically some of us are hanging on a cross and it's killing us kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And they need the comfort, uh, not just of the resurrection, but of the fact that Christ is suffering with you. So that communion aspect. And the other thing is for some of us who are very, who are very weak and Western and we need to pick up our cross. Christianity is not about self-fulfillment, right? I'm not going to follow right. my bliss, right? right? It's yeah. about following him who is my bliss. So 
Uh, when we come back, we're going to do a, just a couple short practical takeaways because Dave, I think his kids are pouring kerosene on a on a rope right behind him. No, no, that's just a clip of Home Alone too. School parenting. Don't don't <laughs> yeah. call child services. <laughs> yeah, but we do encourage you to send uh, email at eksb at essentialpress.com we go through it we've read every single one every so often we respond but most of the time we want it for the show so we'll be right back two thousand years ago jesus christ chose corrupt broken imperfect sinful men to be the foundation of his church and because these broken imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with jesus they became saints and they were used by jesus to transform hearts and minds two thousand years later i invite you to check out my book broken and blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin to have a personal relationship with jesus christ and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Thank you, Ascension Press. You are such handsome, wonderful, lovely people. Uh, now we have our three practical takeaways because Dave Kids, they just uh, put uh, thumbtacks all over the floor and they're going to try to get them to step on them. So, Dave, give us the first one. Uh, number one, this is for intercessory prayer. I want you to think about two, the two different kinds of people we talked about in this episode, those who have experience the cross deeply in their life and those who really need to experience that cross and and just pray for them intentionally pray for them both pray for one to to realize that christ is is there with them and one uh to realize that they need that cross right they need that in their life easy uh number two number two and you're gonna love these everyone loves it when we tell them to do this do it your own personal examination of conscience uh, about maybe when your Christian walk, maybe some angry email you fired off to your pastor or something like that, when your Christian walk took this consumeristic turn of uh, maybe self-indulgence or personal preference uh, and do an examine, do sit there and kind of go through that and say, have I been doing this myself? And number three is do an act of penance. So uh, you can fast, uh, almsgiving, extended prayer, something like that. Do something that costs something and do it on behalf of as an act of intercession for your parish priests, for your local parish priest who uh, may be struggling with the same tendency to consumerism or self-indulgence or personal preference. Just do an act of penance for him on his behalf. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm here with Dave, and we're both saying adios. See ya.